Don't go there. <laughs> Here we go. Talking landscape photography with Kristen Fletcher and Cowan. It is a very uh, special episode of Light Minded today because we are joined uh, not only by Cristiano Fletcher, aka Fletch, or just uh, Christian Fletcher, but also Mr. Tony Hewitt. Welcome to Light Minded. Hey guys. Hey, hey Tone. Is uh, Tony got another? You know, he's also known as Tony Tone or something else. Tony Tone, Tone, Tone the Rock. Tone or, Meister. Yeah, Tony. <laughs> Tone 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 Deaf Tony or No Tone Squared T Squared There's a few out there T Squared's a good one That sounds like a rapper's name I was TJ In my my late teens And early 20s I was TJ the DJ When I DJed for a while You were a DJ What sort of stuff did you play I did eight years of DJing Mate I did the first Blue Light Disco in Perth Is that right Yeah Did you ever play this one Never played this one I just heard it, buddy. Uh, what's his name? You've been, uh, what's that? Uh, Rick Rolled, baby. Rick Rolled, yeah. Yep. Rick Astley. Yep. You would have paid Rick Astley for sure, Tony. Yeah, for sure. I played all that stuff, mate. Bay yep. City Rollers. Oh, uh, I, did, I, did, yeah. <laughs> I, did, I did a lot of that stuff. But I actually shot, I did a thousand weddings as a photographer before I uh, saw the light. Um, mm-hmm. Obviously, obviously, I was a bit of a delayed developer um but i uh, also was. did over 500 weddings as a disc jockey wow mm. before, so before i was a photographer yeah that's so uh, you just love the weddings i mean you were you, you thought you know you you should have known that you know weddings were stressful mm. way back before you started shooting them i mean mm. is it was it less stressful being a dj or the uh, yeah, I think so because DJ, you're kind of in control of the situation once mm, it gets mm. to you, and also the pressure of the days off. Mm, yeah, you know, basically, um, when by the time they get to the reception, most of the people at the wedding, including the bride and groom, all the hard bits are done. It's time mm. just to let your hair down, and and you get to sort of contribute to that. Yeah. But mm. I did a lot of other things, did a lot of blue light discos and stuff like that. No nightclub stuff. I wasn't. Didn't find my way into that world, but uh, mm. yeah, no, it was just an interesting, interesting background. Anyway, I actually used we to be a wedding there. DJ too, Tone. I've I've done about two hundred gigs, um, right. but yeah, I was really shit at it. So, <laughs> yeah. Well, actually, guys, I I have to tell you, I I was actually a wedding DJ myself, and I just. <laughs> Didn't D- want to say anything. DJF, DJ yeah. Flash. Actually, I, I only did one gig. That was my own wedding, and um, I did most of the singing up on stage. Did you? What did you sing? Yeah, um, I don't know, but I was told to turn it down at about twelve thirty. Yeah, right. And it's amazing that I still remained married after my. What is that with your voice, wedding. mate? What voice are you doing? Uh that was just a DJ know, voice. It was, no, it was just a uh, you know, yeah. I, I've done that too, guys. You know, yeah. you're not the only ones that have done it. <laughs> well, I've never, I've never shot a wedding. That's, I mean, that's an art form, isn't it? Actually, um, look, during the week, we put it out on uh, Instagram that we were talking to Rocco and Cora, who I believe we're going to have a chat with today. Mm. Rocco, yeah. Well, Rocco is one of one of the, um, the one of the world's best wedding photographers. But you know, he goes a lot further than that. He's also a brilliant portrait photographer, mm. lighting, um, and he's also seen as one of Australia's leading colour management, printing, editing type of uh, experts. Mm. So he's got a pretty diverse background. He's an interesting character. So he's a bit does of a lot of uh, yeah. judging around the world. And I think he's I think he's won the Australian Wedding Photographer of the Year three or four times. Oh, who hasn't? Um, 
Yeah. <laughs> hey, hey, but um, Tony, Tony, really, he he's never been a DJ at yeah. a wedding. So well, hang on. Well, that should be the first question we should ask yeah, him. Yeah, right. It's kind of a nice lead-in to having Rocco on the show, I suppose, isn't it? Yeah, that we're talking yeah, weddings, right. you know? Yeah, exactly. Well, talking of, talking of uh, Rocco, talking of weddings, mm. let's talk about you, Tony. Let's talk what about, what, about me? what are you doing? What's coming up? Hey, you just had your very successful uh, exhibition yeah. at Linton and Kay. How did that go? Yeah. Yeah, thanks, guys. Um, It went really, really well. We uh, what was really nice was uh, a lot of comments that suggested that the work had gone up another level, which is always something as an artist you're trying to do, Mm. Uh, particularly when you're moving or moving towards simplicity, but you'd still like it to be seen as more sophisticated. Mm. So Mm. I was really, really sort of warming to feel that. Um, It was strange because we couldn't do a a full ball opening. who What's broke the glass? <laughs> was that you, Carmen? Oh, was that me? Oh, sorry. This is why I'm not a wedding DJ anymore. I just kept on making mistakes. Sorry, actually, boys. Actually, actually, that was one of the pictures in my exhibition. It just <laughs> fell off the wall. Oh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. But how come I um, cop the blame for it? Anyway. Well, anyway, um, no, look, it went really well. We sold quite well, which is it's always a pleasing aspect. And um, we did have a lot of interest from designers, so... All of those things come together. I tried a different paper. Uh, Fletch, you'd be interested. I, I didn't use the rag photographique that Canson bring out. Uh-huh. I actually uh, tried the edition rag. Uh-huh. Um, and I must say the edition, um, I think it's edition etching or etching edition, uh-huh. uh, actually took things to another level and it's oh, my sure. new paper of choice. Oh, really? Yeah. I oh, made oh, it. Uh, it, was, it was gorgeous and everybody <laughs> was walking up and... Did you like that? Did you, Carwin? Oh, was, and I just flashed in the background going, oh, my God. <laughs> it was, Damn it. I've just ordered a whole lot of bloody rag photographic. Sucked in. Uh, yeah. It was gorgeous. Oh, really? Anyway. Um, is, that, is that the same paper they use for the scratch and sniff stuff? <laughs> uh, no, but maybe that explains why I had a few photographers in there scratching the prints. Although <laughs> yeah. I thought at first when they were doing that it was just to damage the work. Yeah, but yeah. no, the exhibition went just really jealousy. well. Just jealousy. Yep. <laughs> people, people kind of clicked on to what it was about, transience, mm. you know, that all moments keep moving. And mm. this particular exhibition, I deliberately chose to go even push into colour a little bit more mm. because I felt that at this time in the world, we needed a bit of colour. Mm. So we had quite a few people yeah. walk in and said, this is just really joyful, really mm, mm. uplifting. Yeah. So that ah, went yeah, you, really well, guys. Did you go full east way, did you? <laughs> No, I find um, – no, it wasn't an east way. It was selective, you know. Um, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, yeah, and yeah. the other thing is that I didn't – I don't change colour. Mm. I, I amplify mm. colour. I turn the volume up on colour, if you like, a bit like if I go like that. Oh, Jesus. Wow, okay. <laughs> hey, and, um, and, and Tony, you, you did mention that you took your work to a whole new level. Yeah. Um, does that mean you're photographing from a satellite these days, or are you <laughs> using? Well, Fletch, I did ask you to keep that quiet because <laughs> in my discussions with Richard um, and my seat on his new plane, I'm probably giving away too much here. What? Um, wow. uh, this it's giving me an opportunity to know that I might be one of the first aerial photographers that can put down, you know, a thousand kilometres next to my. Shot, yeah. but, uh, but that was meant to be kept on the hush hush. And mm, you know, right. as you know, Richard's shuffling a few airlines around at the moment, so we'll just have to wait and see how that sits uh, and which plane I'll be on. I thought you were talking about Richard Waldendorp. 
there's a lot of Richards out there, you know. It's mm, a bit like mm. it's a bit like here we have Richards in the air, and and mm. when you go to New Zealand, every god is named Willie. So uh, yeah, um, there's so many dicks in the air these days. <laughs> oh. uh, I was actually thinking I should I should have been in Middlehurst or heading to Middlehurst right now to oh, uh, do my workshop with uh, Sir Peter Eastway over there, but. Um, yeah. Yeah. Oh, so yeah, what, yeah, New Zealand's off limits. Hey, um, Tony, can I ask you, did you sell much stuff or is that, you know, sort of impolite to ask, that sort of thing? Or um, It's impolite to ask. Yes, you can ask ask, ask me and you did. Mm. Uh, did I sell much? Yeah, I, I sold some stuff. Yeah, boy. Uh, uh, right. Yeah, that's what we're sold talking about. Stuff. Did, we yeah, sell, yeah. did we sell out? No, because it's additioned uh, so you don't sell out. Mm. No, look, we had a good response and – I got it, you know, with exhibitions like this, and this is my sixth solo with sixth, fifth, fifth solo with Linton and Kay, and then yeah. I've also had the group session, the group exhibition with uh, ND Five, you know, with Fletch and Eastie mm. and Les Walking, etc. But um, I've always seen the measure of success of an exhibition like this that it's about making sure the brand continues to go up. Uh, I find that most of my work sells throughout the year now. Mm. I'm a little bit different to Christian, as you know, where I don't have. Uh, my own gallery as such, I get represented. So I find it's more about finding opportunities to have the work into corporate areas, you know, foyers and things like that, but mm. done through a consultant type model rather than people walking into a gallery. Mm. I know Christian does a lot of that too, but mm. my I'm not 100% gallery stuff. I also do the coaching and mentoring and yeah. And and travelling workshops, which I'm not doing at the moment. So yeah, yeah, which is a bummer, isn't it? But that that's gonna. I mean, you, are you going to make some changes and try and do some stuff more locally? In yeah, Peter, Peter and I are looking at running some workshops in Australia um, over the next six to nine months, depending how things unfold. And of course, with Victoria having spikes, that's kind of closed down a little bit of the country again. Mm, yeah, um, we have got plans for Middlehurst next year twice. Uh, probably a road trip in New Zealand next year, very similar to our US road trip because our road trip in US is usually in February, March. Unfortunately, even though it's nine months away, it's still looking pretty dodgy to to be planning on going there. Mm, yeah. So I think you need to wait till the Cybertruck is out, mate, because that's bulletproof mm. and it has the uh, those HEPA filters mm. as well, so no contagions can get in, no one can shoot you. Mm, you mm. can, you know, yeah. You can, yeah, yeah so no, the, the short answer is Pete and I have got a few plans. We're just about to sort of announce that. We have been in contact with some of the people who are booked mm. on some of our tours this year mm. and giving them the option first and then uh, they might want whatever's left over for Middlehurst next year will make open to the public. But we are mm. looking at something around October this year mm. within Australia but along the same lines as our Middlehurst retreat, but it'll be an Aussie one. Mm. Yeah, mm. fantastic. And only hey. six to eight people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, good stuff, mate. Well, mm. hopefully it'll Easy. come back together and, and you know, and uh, things will go back to normal uh, as much as possible. Oh, also, can I throw a plug in for something? Yeah. Uh, so on June, uh, July the 25th, 26th, I think it is, mm. Camera Electronics normally have their photo live expo in Perth where they get a couple of thousand people and have oh, yeah. um, you know, yeah, due to speakers and things like that. Yeah. Um, they're going online this year, guys, and they're going around the world. They've got speakers coming in from the US, uh, UK, Europe, uh, Asia. It's going to run uh, Saturday, Sunday from I, I think it's about 8 to 6 each day. Mm. It's about 20 to 24 speakers across everything from uh, aerial, drone, video, cinematography, mm. pet, portrait, wedding, <laughs> editing, posing, lighting, the lot. Mm. Uh, Did you say pet weddings? Pets and <laughs> weddings. 
Uh, and there is pet weddings, Christian. That's why we asked you to join us. So I think you're going to be joining us on that uh, program. So, yeah, that's going to be super, super exciting. So keep your eyes out for it. Definitely pencil that one in, Tone. That's, um, yeah, that's awesome. Hey, look, um, speaking of weddings, we, we should get Rocco on the line and uh, have, a, have a yak to him because... You know, he's he's the he's the you know he's the real talent. That, so, uh, so the uh, question we have to ask him when he comes in is: we should ask it like this: How many weddings have you done as a DJ? <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah, let's find out. Hey, Rocco, right. you there? Rocco. Hey, right. Hey, Rocco, how you going, mate? Can you turn your microphone up a bit, please, mate? Boy, he actually. How long have you been hanging out there, mate? Because. Yeah, we've been saying all these terrible things about you. I hope you yeah, haven't. I heard, I heard um, the stuff that you do with goats and things. Terrible. <laughs> <laughs> How did you hear about that? No, no Rocco, 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 if you heard goat, we were referring to you, and it stands for the greatest of all time. Oh, nice. No, no, I, nice thought, I thought it was nice. a play on my surname, uh, Angora, Angora Goat, the wolf. Oh, oh yeah, yeah. yeah. Right. Okay, yeah. Rocco, yeah, making just turn up just a little bit more, mate, if you don't mind, so we can hear you a bit better. Is that... Um, is that better? Uh, a little bit louder, mate. Sit closer to the mic, maybe. Yeah, I'm on top of the mic now. I'm All really right. close to the mic. How's that? All right. Put the mic near your mouth. Don't sit on it. Yeah, no. I was, uh, that's, um, that's about as uh, loud as I can get it. It doesn't go any, any louder. All right, we'll work uh, with that. Yeah. Is that okay? Or is that, yeah. um, you know, just, at least there's a setting somewhere that I'm missing, but... Uh, it's all good, Rock. Just use uh, sign language, mate. We'll, we'll... I, I will, yes, yes. Well, he's already started. He's using his middle finger. I, I'm... <laughs> right, right, yeah. Right, yeah. Hey, Rocco, we've got a question for you. You probably heard it. Um, you know, we're trying to work out who's got the most experience and uh, we've, we've discovered that we've all, when it comes to weddings, we've all done our fair share. So the question is, mm. how many weddings have you done as a DJ? Not not many, Tone. Not many at all. He's done some. Yeah, I, no. but the Italian Stallion. I mean, what a great DJ name. No, no. I just um, I, I'll leave that to you, mate. I just no, no. Never, never as a DJ. No, no. no. Uh, a, so that's zero. Yeah, zero. No, zero. Zero. Okay, zero. Okay. We'll, we'll go with zero. Mm. Yeah. De- definitely zero. So you're still in front. Yeah. <laughs> hey, mate. Um, your website says you've been you've had a twenty five year career. I'm not sure if that's up to date or not. Maybe it's twenty six years now. Maybe it's thirty years. I don't know. Yeah. I know mine's always wrong. You're a multi award winning master of post production and fine art printing. Take us back to the uh, the day you first picked up a camera. Mm. Right. Okay. That was. Um, oof, let me think. Um, going back to nineteen ninety two. When yeah. I first picked up a camera, so um, I tell you, I tell you what was happening in my life back then. Um, it wasn't photographic. I was actually um, studying architectural design, and um, I needed to buy a camera because we we're taking photographs of uh, of uh, streetscapes and stuff like that. And um, we had to write, you know, pieces on on the impact of buildings on environments and all sorts of stuff. Mm-hmm. And the minute I did that, um, I kind of um, I fell in love with this thing. And I couldn't put it down. Mm. Yeah. And uh, to my uh, family's um, amusement, when I said, yeah, I'm not doing this anymore. I want to be a photographer. Yeah. And, you know, Dad nearly threw me out of the house, but that's another <laughs> story. But, uh, yeah, so thus began my career as, um, you know, my quest into becoming a professional photographer. So mm. um, 
I um I got a job uh, working in a lab, believe it or not, um, printing black and white and developing um, pictures and all that sort of stuff. So I learned I learned photography through the um, the back end, if you like. Mm, yeah. uh, I learned the the lab stuff, which I which I enjoyed, and I I enjoy still today. You know the whole post production stuff. Um, you know fascinates me, and the printing. You know and bringing yeah. um, you know back in those days it was um, you know negatives to to life, and mm. now of course it's. Uh, it's pixels and in the interpretation of those pixels on on different papers. Um, yeah, so I began working in a lab and um, assisting um, wedding photographers on the weekend um, yep. and then it sort of merged into one. I, mm. As an assistant, I then um, was given small jobs to shoot, uh, whether it be a small groom's coverage or uh, shooting a reception coverage um, and not being a DJ. So mm. <laughs> that was that was nice and easy. Sorry to hear uh, that. And then, yeah. and then slowly, this uh, this studio that I was working for, um, they trusted me with my first wedding. This is after about three years of uh, of assisting, yeah. So, uh, yeah. so I got my first uh, first real gig. They loved what I did and um, started booking me in jobs. And that was a uh, that was the beginning of the end. Yeah. Sorry about that noise. What the, what's going on in the background there? Who's making all that noise? It, it's it's <laughs> <laughs> Carmen. Is that Carmen? You're um, you're very noisy, mate. Oh, could, did you hear that? Did you? I was just getting a oh, coffee. We, <laughs> we heard everything, mate. Oh, really? Oh yeah. no! Please don't go to the Not toilet. again. Oh. <laughs> so, so Rocco, I mean, uh, so obviously you went into weddings, but were you ever shooting anything else? Is that um, you know when you first started out? No, well, I mean, I I had this. Um, there's a lot of noise in the background, there. Eh? <laughs> yeah, it's Carwin. Shut up, Carwin. <laughs> can you actually yeah. hear that, can you? That's weird. Yeah, I can hear all of it. Yeah, yeah, we can, we can, hear, we can hear all of it. Anyway, oh, keep going. what were they saying again? Yeah, so um, because obviously my, my love of architecture, um, I love um, shooting buildings and, and landscapes still today, which which encompasses pretty much the majority of my personal work that no one really ever gets to see. But, um, yeah. yeah, but then um, I enjoyed uh, shooting, uh, shooting people um, with a camera. Yeah, um, so, good. That's good. So um, yeah, and that kind of became the way I earned money as a photographer. So um, yeah. and it's still my passion today. I mean, I love, I love photographing weddings because it's a it's a non repeatable event, and I love the energy and buzz that goes with it. The storytelling element, I think, is um is a, is a wonderful thing. And um, really, when you break it down, it um, it encompasses <laughs> a lot of different genres of uh, of photography. You know, photojournalism. Uh, being a fashion photographer, being a product photographer on the day, and you know, incorporating people in landscapes and um, mm. in buildings. So yeah, I get to I get to do all that sort of stuff, and I and I love it. Yeah, yeah. Never never thought about it that way actually. That um, weddings because when I, when I was doing weddings, and, and I have to say, I've only done I only did about forty in my entire life, but every single one of them, I lost about five kilos before everyone I spent most yeah. of the week on the toilet. You know, just freaking out. Mm. And yeah. yeah, this was back in the days of film when I was doing it. So I had no idea what I was doing. I didn't know what I was getting on the camera. Yeah. Everything went out the door. So yeah, so hats off to you. You got guys like you and Tony that have managed so many weddings and 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 survived. So how, how does how does one do that and and mm. not feel the stress, or do you feel the stress and just work well with that? Yeah, well, I think um, for me, what prepared me to you know for for my career was the fact that I did assist for such a long time and knowing the back end of the business, in other words, um, what exposure did to, to negatives and how to maximize exposure and how to get the most out of, um, you know, out of the film that you were shooting at the time because of the way we processed it, you know, both in color and black and white. Um, so that stress, I guess the technical stress, um, 
wasn't really something I ever felt because um, I just I just I tackled uh, the whole the whole thing from a very different angle. Um, yeah. I don't know if that makes sense, but uh, but the the stress for me comes down to the fact that every wedding is different, and it's it's more of a of a people people managing kind of skill that yeah. uh, that you need to have as opposed to I mean you you got to know your photography and you got to know that back to front to the point where it becomes second nature when you're yeah. doing a wedding, but really mm. it's more of a people skill and you've got to be able to to connect with them on that level for you to be able to get into that personal space and um you know and capture those wonderful moments you know so that there's a there's a, there's a lot of work there's a lot of work that goes on for me before a wedding um as far as how much information i get out of a couple yeah. um because I want, I want to know them i want to know their personality because if you don't it's very difficult to to connect and, and get the best out of them on the day so but that yeah. stress uh, yeah i mean i i still I still think that, you know, I still feel it today. There's a little bit of, uh, you know, you still get butterflies in the stomach every time you, you know, the night before, just before you need to go and shoot a wedding. Yeah. But I think you need that. You, you need that just to keep you honest. <laughs> yeah, 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 I'm sure you do. What about you, Tony? Do you have the same, uh, did you just do the same things before your weddings, the research and all that sort of stuff? Do you, were you confident when you did your weddings? I think Tony's just sort of dropped out there. Oh, He'll be hey, back with us yeah. in a second. But Rocco, can I ask you, because I know people that have uh, shot weddings and this has happened to them, have you ever had an equipment failure? Oh, look, you know, you, um, you, you always have equipment failures, more so in the, I guess, in the film days um, mm. when we were shooting on the on the Hasselblad. And uh, mm. I don't know if you've ever, anyone's ever shot Hasselblad, um, but yeah, they tend to jam up. Mm. <laughs> the one did. So I used to, I worked out a way to unjam them. So I used to have a, an entire toolkit in the car of screwdrivers and basically pulling them apart in the car as I was driving to the next location to get this bloody thing working again. Mm. But um, yeah, equipment failure. I mean, uh, you you always have backup equipment um, mm. when you're doing weddings because it is a non-repeatable event. So there's always the backup to the backup. Mm. Um, very difficult at the start of the career, of course, because uh, there's a lot of money to outlay. Um, before you you start sort of earning any money, which makes it a little bit of a, a, a hoping that you're going to be good yeah. at this and you're mm. investing all this money in equipment and, and you're going to get a return. But, yeah, look, equipment failures are definitely like a film film jamming and all sorts of stuff. But um, in the film days, the most common um, failure wasn't actually on the day of the wedding. Mm. Yeah. It was when you processed the bloody film. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. The yeah. Um, so the we used to use um, uh, a roller transport C41 processor. Um, so it was a it was a Copal machine that was made by made by Kodak, and um, and it worked fine until they they used to jam. So we used to load the rolls of film in, and then you'd wait for the sound. And if there was no sound, everything was amazing. Mm. But the yeah. minute there was a sound, everything wasn't amazing, and we used to just. You know, turn the lights off and pull the cover off, and then uh, of, of this machine, and stick our hands in bleach and all sorts of weird and wonderful <laughs> chemicals to try and to try and salvage um, the film. Mm, and yeah. counting mentally in your head, you know, how many seconds was that in the developer? Oh yeah, okay. Uh, bleach now. Was it enough in the developer? I don't know. Let's give it a bit more. Mm, so we used to get these beautiful dense negatives, you know, that were impossible to print um, on a machine, but we had to hand print everything. So yeah. it was um, it was an absolute nightmare. But luckily, yeah. look, we never lost. Um, we never lost images. Uh, they were just very rich, dense negatives that um, became very difficult to print. But yeah, that was that was the nightmare. And of course, today the other side of the coin is uh, card failure at uh, you know at weddings. Uh, mm. Touch wood in my career, never never had that happen. Yeah, 
Yeah. It happens. It used to happen like in the in the early days of, uh, you know, the first sort of generation of DSLRs. We mm. could get all sorts of problems. And uh, but you know, data was uh, was recoverable. It was an expensive exercise, but you could get data back. And then of mm. course, with um, you know, the two card slot thing, which people were supposed to got kind of use it as backup. Um, I used to use it just as um, you know, what do they call it? Uh, overflow. Yeah, right. Um, because we were shooting so much. Mm. Um, but look, with cards, um, you got to understand, you know, the, the beast that you're that you're working with. I always, um, you know, tend to replace my cards every eighteen months. They do have a lifespan. Mm. Um, yeah. So wedding wedding photographers, we shoot a lot of frames, as do sports photographers, and it mm. is highly recommended that you do replace your cards. Um, you know, every every eighteen months to two years. I guess it depends on how many how many frames you're doing. Um, I mean, I've got friends and colleagues in the industry that have had card failure and have been shooting on the same card for the past eight years. So you kind of wonder, yeah, look, it was bound to happen, you know. But, um, <laughs> yeah, it's kind of like, um, you know, cards. You got to you got to treat them with with respect. And also, I mean, modern modern uh, cameras, um, if they can't write to the card, they'll tell you. Mm. It'll come up as an error of some description. The biggest mistake a lot of photographers make is that, of course, they continue shooting on the bloody card because they think, okay, well, it's it's a computer, right? I turn it off mm. and I turn it back on, should be good. Mm. And it is good, except that the data that it's actually writing on the card is most likely corrupt because there's either a problem with the card or the or the camera. So mm. when that happens, I've always learned put it down, put both the camera down and mm. the card and go to the other body that you have and keep on shooting. <coughs> Rocco. find that. Yeah, tell me. Oh, no, sorry, mate. Uh, I didn't mean to interrupt you, um, but I was just going to say, have you ever had an unrecoverable situation because we were talking, you know, in jest before about being um, wedding DJs and I've done 200 gigs and I think Tone's done about 500, but, you know, I've done things like I've emceed a wedding and, you know, I've stuffed up the bride and groom's name, you know, and there's just, there's no going back from that, you know, it's just one mistake and, you know, have you ever had that situation where you've just gone, you know, this is too hard? There was a a situation and it was um, when, uh, when the Nikon D4 came out, Mm. Um, so they came out with an XQD card and, um, what happened was, um, Lexa, who was the only company producing XQD cards, um, basically had a problem, um, with that particular camera in the way that data was being written to the camera. And there mm. was a, you know, they issued a press release. Unfortunately, the press release came out after I, I shot the wedding. Mm. So, um, nice. at the end of the day, yeah, it was, it was a bit of a nightmare. Good but, timing, um, that, yeah. It, yeah. We, um. We managed to recover most of the images on there. There were some images that unfortunately were unrecoverable. Mm. But the good thing was that um, because of all the documentation that was out online and when it was when uh, when it was published and when the wedding was shot, um, there was no, I guess, legal ramifications of uh, of me being negligent on on the day. Thank God. Say. So yep. it was uh, it was a good thing. Mm. Uh, so that and the couple was really understanding, and they mm. were you know they they knew that these things happened and. Mm. Uh, and it was um and it was okay so mm. um but yeah you know that's about the only time that yeah. that things got really hairy but um, <coughs> but that was a, that was a problem that was easily fixed through firmware and mm. it was just a combination of um of two things that just didn't didn't pan out so yeah, yeah. hey Rocco um you know <clears throat> wedding photographers if you've been in the game wedding long enough you're gonna everyone's gonna have a story about you know failure or or something didn't work or dropping a camera you know I mean yeah. With nearly a thousand weddings, I think every photographer who's done over five hundred weddings would have dropped a camera, dropped the lens, yep. stuffed up a card, left the film out, 
and I can tick off all those boxes. Um, uh, didn't turn up at the wedding, unfortunately, and also tick off that box. Um, but, you know, that's the difference, I think, with weddings, that unlike almost any other type of photography, except maybe sporting events, you know, world-class sporting events, if you've stuffed up, as you said earlier in the, the, the show, um, there's no going back. And how do you feel that that sort of pressure and dealing with that pressure, even if you don't feel it as pressure, how has that helped mould you as a photographer mm. in the way that you shoot? I think um, the pressure side, as I said earlier, I think it's it's a really um, important, I, I call it a tool, really, mm. yeah. um, because it forces you uh, to be the best that you can be um, at what you do, <laughs> if that makes sense. Yeah. Uh, so in other words, it's called, um, I don't know if we can swear on this podcast, it's called No yeah, Fuck Yeah. Yeah, okay. <laughs> it's called knowing your shit before you go out and attempt uh, any, attempt any 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 project, you know. So, mm. you know, the technical, look, you know, has to be almost second nature. You know, we, we make decisions on the fly as a wedding photographer constantly. And some of those decisions I, I have no idea I'm actually making because mm. you get to a stage where they happen on a subconscious level almost, mm. you know, and it really comes down to knowing your shit, as I, yep. as I said earlier. But that, that pressure of mm. knowing that this is the time frame I have got, mm. this is the time frame that I have in creating magic because that's mm. what the client expects, mm. all of those things come into play in I guess, you know, sharpening your sword constantly and say, well, I'm, I'm going to be ready for battle because I'm going to make sure that I'm going to nail this because mm. I know my flash system. I know what I want to create. Um, mm. But also, I guess, you know, on the other aspect of it, there's that element of, um, of creativity, which um, it's one of those things that it's very hard to explain how you prepare for it, but somehow you do prepare for it. Mm. And it comes down mm. to being inspired and um, and looking for inspiration constantly, mm. and um, and finding out that inspiration doesn't necessarily come from looking at um, other people's work and trying to copy it, but mm. it comes from a very very deep and personal space, if that makes sense. Rocco, um, Christian touched on this before. He's he's done about twenty weddings and uh, forty, you know, forty, and oh. the anxiety is is quite palpable and. Um, like I've got to be honest with you. Like in terms of photography, I I see wedding photographers as you know they're in an, an elite group because the, you know it, literally well it's not life and death, but it's it's pretty bloody close to life and death. Yeah. Like if you make oh, a stuff up, do. yeah. So you know how do you do, do? Do you still get anxiety before a wedding, or how do you actually deal with that? Now I don't. It's not. It's not so much anxiety. It's um. It's I don't know. You'd call it um concerns <laughs> to make sure that everything uh, on the day is going to go the way that uh, that it's going to go. And you, you put everything in place so that you can control your end of the bargain. So in other words, your equipment is checked. Um, you know you're mentally prepared as far as what you're about to, to do. But there are things that um, you can't really prepare for. And one of those things is, um, mm. is I guess, Melbourne weather. Um, nothing prepares you for Melbourne weather. No. Because if you don't like what's happening with the weather, you just wait 10 minutes and mm. you'll see, get something else. It gets worse. So it gets worse, exactly. <laughs> but also, um, you know, personalities and, and mm. people dynamics on the day can get also in the way of, um, of what you're what you're trying to, to do. So mm. I'm more anxious about the things that I can't control 
um, yeah. like mm. like I guess weather and and knowing that the people on the day are going to you know hold their end of the bargain and not be you know nightmares. <laughs> and it's happened before with Brian and Groom. You know, you have a hundred meetings and they're they're fine. Mm. Put them together in a in a room with some alcohol and their mates. And they turn into these very different beasts. I tell you now, um, and all of a sudden, like you, go, you know, what the fuck just happened? Mm. Who are these people? Mm. Just yeah, talking, it you know, sounds like a someone. sounds like an ND five gig, Tony. One of the things I've always, uh, you know, after doing so many weddings for so long, I, I realised that wedding photography is a little different to a lot of other genres, in so far as. And you mentioned this earlier, it's not just about being a photographer. You're also an event manager yeah. or event coordinator. You're also a storyteller, a craftsman. You're a psychologist, a babysitter. Yep. Um, you're a dressmaker at times and a makeup <laughs> artist at times, and I've done yeah. all of that. Yeah. Um, some nice stories there for you, Carwin, sometime. Yeah. Um, but, <laughs> and also the artist. And um, I think over time, I mean, people often start off in weddings by thinking it's just about the camera and, and the photography, and then they start to realise it's about telling stories. Yeah. And bit by bit, if they are a people person, they might have a chance of becoming a good wedding photographer sure. and they realise that there's other things. Um, you're not only a great photographer and a great people person, which is evidenced by all your awards in the wedding area, not just awards from competitions such as WPPI, AIPP, NZIPP, SWPP, et cetera, et cetera, but your clients that love you. But you're also an incredible artist in terms of your editing, the way you print. Tell us how, from weddings, you grew to become better and better and become one of the world's leading, uh, you know, editing and printmaking specialists. Gee, that's, um, yeah, okay. How long is this podcast? <laughs> as long as you, yeah, as long as you like, mate. Yeah, <laughs> yeah we'll, right. we'll so, keep talking. We'll be back in a half an hour. Yeah, three quarters, I'll go and get another coffee, hours. yeah. <laughs> I guess um, having shot film and beginning my, my photographic career, um, you know, shooting film, um, taking the picture, the negative, was a very small part of the equation. Everything came down to interpretation and how those tones translated to what we saw on, on, on the printed piece of paper and essentially what the client sees and what you want to show. Okay, so, and I realised early on that, I had more power in the dark room than I had at the time of actually taking the picture. As long as as long as my exposure was where it was meant to be, and my lighting, of course, didn't suck, and my composition was was good, which are the things that I can't control at the time of capture. Everything else is open to interpretation. Now, with color neg, um, you know, uh, it was limited because besides, I guess, dodging and burning with with color negs, mm. I mean, you were pretty stuck with. Uh, you know, the, the particular palette that the, the film delivered um, mm. and whether you chose to shoot Kodak or Fuji. And we, we sort of began our career shooting Kodak um, um, BPH film. And then, of course, uh, I think it was MP... No, that was the Fuji. Anyway, but we ended up um, we ended up with Fuji because Fuji, we could do things to the Fuji film that we couldn't do to, uh, to the Kodak stuff. Um, so, um, you know, and even that became a sort of a creative... Um, way to to express our wedding photography shooting a stock of film that no one in australia at the time was actually shooting mm. so we're talking back in the early 90s um yeah. everyone was shooting kodak we were shooting yeah. fuji and we were processing our own fuji and we kind of um we we changed our processing um we're actually shooting this is the weird part 
shooting Fujifilm but processing it in codec chemistry. Why? Because it rendered colors a little bit more pastel. Coronavirus? Is that? <laughs> yeah, got Sorry. Me. Sorry, fellas. Should I go and get tested? <laughs> I'm going to after that. I'll wipe the screen down, I promise. <laughs> so it gave us um, it gave us a sort of um, you know a, a creamier a creamier white and more of a, of a pastel look and these incredible beautiful skin tones but the whites were a lot cleaner and that was something that we kept very close to our chest so we had this ability with 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 film with um, with film color film to do that and then some dodging and burning and that was about it but with black and white where the whole thing with interpretation came in was I could do bloody anything I wanted I could mm. control contrast. I could selectively dodge and burn minute areas with, um, you know, ferric cyanide or farmer's reducers, as it was called in, in the day, and playing around with some bloody shit chemicals that um, <laughs> God knows how I'm still alive today. <laughs> but it was, uh, it was a lot of fun because I could then express uh, the way I felt, I guess, on the time that I, that I took the picture um, onto, the, uh, onto the printed, uh, onto the printed uh, photograph so mm. black and white for me we shot a lot of black and white and i love black and white for that particular reason because of the interpretation phase and and the artistic mm. element of what we could create and then of course digital came in and i go shit i can do this now with uh with with a color neg and that's when it all began for me because i thought i can now apply those exact skills and really when digital first came in the only thing i really uh was interested in as far as photoshop was concerned was dodging and burning and how can I alter the color and the contrast of a color picture that yeah. was it mm. right there was nothing really fancy about it you know but that was enough that was enough even to to make some pretty amazing you know um, images out of the um you know out of the scans which which was what how we began our transition into digital we were scanning mm. um, yeah. both yeah. our 120 negatives and our 35 mil negatives mm. um, and then of course when we went at full-blown digital back in uh, the year 2000. Yeah, was that so, when you that when you had your own business at that stage, or were you still within the lab no, then? By that stage, um, by that stage, I had my own business, and I was yeah. a partner in this uh, in this business that I actually started working as a, as a lab rat. So it was a yeah. big photographic studio here in here in Melbourne. Um, that um, that were a wedding studio that we're doing around ooh back in the early nineties, around three hundred weddings a year, a lot wow. of weddings. Wow. And they had full-time photographers working for them, mm-hmm. and they had three full-time people working in the lab. Um, that was basically positioned next door. So they used to do their own processing, but we yep. also processed for other other photographers as uh, as, as well. well. So um, yeah, so that was um, that was really really good. So um, I became a partner in that because um, I guess you know you're, you're working for a business and uh, clients start to request you and uh, they want to, they want Rocco to shoot their wedding and um, all of a sudden the boss goes um, we need you as a, as a up across partner. the road I'm screwed. <laughs> so do you want yeah. to? as a partner i go yeah all right it sounds like a good idea mm. and um and that's what what i did so yeah owning the own business and so i was responsible for that uh decision to go to go digital and yeah. and uh, leave the uh the chemicals behind mm. yeah. so we processed our so we processed our own film sort of for a while um and then did our own scans and then like i said when when we could uh go into full digital capture uh, we did um yeah. when the cameras were were good enough to uh to do that um, and yeah. we could get the quality that we wanted. Mm, but that, yeah. What that meant, of course, is then that output, which was done on um, either the uh, the Kodak uh, Pegasus machine or the, the Durst Lambda, um, we, we couldn't afford one of those because they were, you know, half a million dollar machines, mm, you know, yeah. and uh, it's a lot, of, lot to outlay for just a small sort of wedding business. So uh, 
we outsourced the printing through uh, through the big labs, and mm. it was um, we were printing through. Um, they're still around today, the Edge. So um, yep. remember the Edge, Tony. <laughs> yes, I was one of the I was one of the founders of the Edge. Exactly right. Yes, Along with Peter Eastway. Yeah, and they were honestly they were serious about uh, lot, they were serious about their color management, and this is what we loved about them. And um, we were getting predictable results, which is what what was like printing at home. But but we knew that now. As the editors, I guess, and what we did to the image, uh, the buck really stopped with us because um, we were responsible, um, you know, of the files that we gave the lab and, you know, what we got back was only as good as what we gave them to begin with. And it was easy back in those days to blame the lab. (coughs) I remember, oh, the lab shit, my lab shit, (laughs) I'll use the edge, nah, they're shit, I get, you know. (laughs) But it really really came down to the shit that they were providing the lab because they had zero understanding of... uh, Yep. Back in those days, especially of color management and how we went from pixels to you know to 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 prints, it was a it was a very different beast. Yeah. Hey Rocco, what's what are some of the simple things that you think? Well, two part question: What are the major issues you see with what people sort of present to you to be printed, and what are some of the simple things people or steps people could take to improve their work without having to become an expert, you know, and spend years and years getting to the level you're at? Yeah, I mean, obviously, with uh, with uh, the capture to print side of things, which is um, you know shameless plug here for my uh, my. Well, that's my what I was alluding to. <laughs> you guys, yeah, I'm going think... to plug it for you. Hang on, Rock. I'm going to plug it for you. Capture to print yeah. offers the services to some of the world's best photographers. They print for people in Europe, the US, New Zealand, all over Australia and Asia. Uh, they produce for both clients uh, who you know, for photographers who send to their clients at a fine art level right through to standard wedding work, portrait work, but they also uh, print some of the world's um, or print for some of the world's best competitions in terms of people who like to edit their work, but instead of sending it to a normal lab, they send it to capture the print and treat it like a so yeah, we, they we sound do. like gods, Tony. We're sort of more demigods, I'd say. Anyway, <laughs> yeah. also known as Maui, if you ever watch. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, okay, so here's here's the thing, right? There's the least sexiest topic when it comes to photography today and successful printing is color management. The minute you start talking color management, you can just see the color drain from people's faces, yeah? Mm. Uh, yeah. Oh, desaturation. Yeah, but the, the best the best part of all this is that photographers honestly think that they don't need it. It's not part of, no, nah, mate. I, I bought a Mac. I don't need color management. Mm. And I, someone said that to me once. I kid you not. I've got a Mac. I don't need color management. I'll pull the monitor out of the box and it's bloody amazing. <laughs> so... There's a there's a process that you need to understand of how we go from pixel to to printed dot. Okay, now there's a thing in the middle, right, that shows you what you've actually captured, and that thing is called a monitor. Mm. Um, now, I am fortunate, and and uh, Tony, you're in the same boat. We use the best monitors in the world, ISO monitors, mm-hmm. and they're, yeah. they're pretty they're pretty amazing. I mean, there's there's other reputable brands out there, I'm sure, but. But the, the monitor is is really your only window into your image file. And it's your only true window into your image file. So if you think you are seeing a particular shade, only then to realize that that particular shade is printed in a different different color altogether, well then you're not you're not doing yourself a, a, you know a, any any favors. So understanding that the monitor has to be the best that it can be, it has to be calibrated um, is 
I guess the most basic thing you can do to set yourself up for success as far as what you're seeing and, and what you're getting in um, in the end. And um, not a lot of photographers actually realise that because they own Macs. Yeah. yeah. Not that it's a bad thing. Well, Peter Raceway yeah. doesn't. So. No, he uses yeah. a PC, I'm sure. He, actually, yeah. I know he does. Well, actually, yeah. Tony Hewitt, I heard a little whisper, is going to become one of the PC brigade is he? No, well, no, no, nothing's changed. I've been using PCs, uh, you know, towers in our studio for a long time, but I run with a Mac uh, yeah. for traveling and what I do. So I use both. Uh, yeah, I'm yeah. quite happy. Uh, but there's, nothing, there's nothing wrong with PCs. And I think, look, honestly, um, as far as uh, computers are concerned, um, they're, they're just a, a, a vehicle to, to display your information. Mm. You know, your monitor, whether it's connected to a Mac or a PC, um, it really doesn't matter. Mm. Um, because um, it, it is more about the monitor and how you calibrate that monitor that makes all the difference um, if, you, if you're printing your work. But even if you're not printing your work and you're, you're, su- you're supplying files to whoever, you want to make sure that what you're supplying is, um, is going to be the same as what they're going to see on, on their end as well. So mm. there's, a, there's, a lot of, there's a lot of aspects to, to monitor calibration, of course, and we're not going to go into it today because mm. you know, it can get quite technical. But really... Um, you need to respect the monitor, <laughs> okay. and uh, and knowing that not not every monitor is made is made equally because there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of cheap and nasties out there, and um, unfortunately it does reflect in the end product. So. Hey Rocco, can, hey. I, can I just jump in for one sec? Um, we during the week we uh, we put it out on our Instagram um, that if you know people had a question. Uh, we could we could ask you directly. So we just do, do you mind if I just uh, throw a question at you from one of our listeners? Sure. Uh, this one's from Andy B, uh, twenty three. Um, Hi guys, uh, weddings strike me as being pretty formulaic, and after about three, just a tad dull. How does someone like Rocco manage to keep his enthusiasm and creativity in a predict, uh, predict- predictable environment like the wedding? I, I don't think a wedding's a predictable environment, but uh, I reckon that's a pretty <laughs> no, no, good no, question, no. Rocco. How, how- it, is a, it, is a, it is a very good question. To outsiders, yes, uh, weddings can be formulaic. And to a certain degree, there, there are shots that, um, that you need to be able to capture and you need to be able to preempt a lot of the stuff that is happening on a wedding day. Um, things that are predictable like, you know, the, the first kiss, the first dance, et cetera, et cetera. Mm. However, however, um, it's... It comes down to what you put out there as far as what you're using to attract your clients that determines pretty much your creativity on the day. Mm. Um, let me explain a little bit more about that. So if you if you look at my Instagram feed, um, there's a lot of pretty way out there stuff, stuff that isn't conventional, you know, with, with lighting and, and all, all that sort of stuff. Now, if a bride contacts me to do her wedding, it's because she's into that creative stuff and mm. she wants to book me for that creative stuff. So mm. although I need to be, I guess, I don't know, I need to capture stuff on the day, mm. I have full creative license to be really creative. So for me, I look at it as, okay, this is what I'm putting out there. This is what I've got to produce. So I'm going to be as creative as I could possibly be because that is what I'm being paid to do. Mm. The problem with a lot of wedding photographers is that when they first start out, what they're putting out on Instagram to attract brides or through their advertising, whatever they're using, mm. is work that they think brides want to see. Mm. Okay. Mm. So it's very easy to, to emulate other photographers' work and uh, use the same presets and use the same um, color and, uh, and all that sort of stuff. Um, in which case, the minute you do that, 
you know, you get brides coming back saying, I want to book you because I love, I love your work. And then you go in the other and go, I hate this shit. This is not what I'm, this is not what I'm about. Hey, I'm like, oh, bloody hell, another one of these, you know, I hate okay. this shit. Can I interrupt for a sec, Will? Yeah. I, I'm, mate, you've just gone up three levels of God status for me because <laughs> I just took, listen to what you said. I went to Instagram photo and I want to know how a bride in Melbourne can have images that look like they're in Monument Valley and Horseshoe Bend because that's what's on your <laughs> Man, you are the creative God. Man. Oh, Jesus. Yeah, well, that's, uh, like I said, that's uh, that's the COVID coming out because uh, we haven't that's, issues. That's incredible because I would love to have photos at Monument Valley for my wedding and without having to go there, man. It's yeah. just, It'd be pretty yeah, good having what? Antelope Canyon that, for a backdrop at your wedding too. Yeah, I it is. Well, yeah. All you need to do is just, uh, just green screen stuff. Yep. Um, so, yeah, so I'll send you the green screen. You mm. just photograph it with your iPhone and just send me the picture. Hey, hey in but in all seriousness, Rock, one of the things that – you know, you and I have chatted about a little bit, and we've travelled. This year we travelled a bit together. We went yeah, together and went London together. Yeah. Um, but it, what you demonstrated here is that if you can take a good picture as a wedding photographer or as a yeah. portrait photographer, then you can take a good picture, period. Yeah. Mm, and yeah. I'm looking at your landscape stuff here, and it's just sublime. Mm. The descriptions people put on your wedding work that, you know, romantic, emotional, poetic, I look at these images, these black and white uh, images of Horseshoe Bend and, and, and Monument Valley and Antelope, et cetera, mm. and they are emotional, mm, romantic, mm, very smooth black and whites. Mm. What the, if you had to advise somebody out there who's sort of just been kicking along at the beginner's level, what are the key areas that they should focus on in order to step their work up quickly? Actually, can I just jump in for one sec before we go into that? Um, just so you know what we're talking about, have a look at Rocco's um, Instagram. So it is uh, Rocco and Cora. So just do a search for Rocco and Cora. Sorry, back to it, uh, boys. Okay. What was the question again, Tim? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So, so okay. So you're basic, a- basic things, people. You know, like you and I have yeah. a chat about editing a lot, and yeah. uh, and there's a lot of tricks out there. A lot of for people stay away from Photoshop and Capture mm-hmm. One picture because mm-hmm. they're, they're scared, right? Yeah. You, you know, we we've discussed it that sometimes eighty percent, ninety percent of the creativity in our work is the simplest steps. It so, is. what are some of the things you think people should be thinking about if they want to step up their work and and not be overawed. I think um, there's a there's a huge misconception out there of people that are scared of Photoshop is that um, Photoshop is used, uh, I guess, to fix pretty much anything. Um, and a lot of and a lot, and I know a lot of photographers use it as a as a fixing tool rather than an, an enhancing tool. Mm. When you when you think about, I guess, the purpose of why you're taking the picture uh, at the time that you do take the picture. Um, for me, and I know for a lot of um, photographic artists, and I'm sure Tony and Christian, you've been in the same boat here, there is a certain feeling associated with that, isn't there? I mean, there's yeah. a certain feeling every time you take a photo, the way you felt at the time, what the weather was doing, mm. um, there's, a, there's a lot of factors uh, at play. Now, for me, the, on the post-production level, if if the lighting is is there and the, and the exposure is there, then really post-production is nothing more than amplifying um, what you've already captured. Mm-hmm. You know, if you're shooting in color, it's about you know how you manipulate those colors. Mm-hmm. Uh, for me, the black and white was more about the the emotive content that the light was giving me um, at that particular you know moment in time that mm-hmm. I, that I captured uh, uh, the picture. So before you begin the editing process of, of anything, um, 
ask yourself one very important question, you know, what do I want to say with the picture? What is this picture about and where do I want the viewer to to draw the, the attention to? What area of the photograph is, is important to me? Mm. Because there's more to post-production, like I said, than fixing. There's more to post-production than just playing an action. Mm. And, um, you know, the only actions I use, like in my workflow, are purely there to set up my workflow parameters. But every decision is is made on a... I know this is going to sound a little bit airy fairy and arty farty, but it's a gut feeling. Yeah, you know, it's a gut it's feeling that that area kind of needs more light or needs uh, less light, which experience gives you over time. Yeah, definitely. But but also, um, what you see on the screen is one thing, and you, like I said, you could have the world's best screen, and we do have that, mm. and calibrated to an inch of its life, and uh, all that sort of stuff. But it's not until you actually print it that you start to see flaws. Okay, there's a very different relationship between printing your work and then just looking at it on a screen. So becoming a better photographer or a better editor comes down to printing your bloody work. And it's that it's that simple, you know. Mm-hmm. And it took me years to kind of, you know, to, to work this out because there, there are things you see in print that you will never see on a monitor. Yeah. Or you'll never... You'll never notice firsthand, I should say, because once you see it in print, you go to the monitor and it goes, oh, yeah, there it is. Yeah. Bloody hell, why didn't I see that? You know, yeah. that area is way too bright, you know. But on the monitor at the time, you think, wow, it's a, it's a, it's amazing. Yeah. Um, so really, you know, asking yourself where you want to go with your post-production. And number two, getting your head around actually maybe printing some of your work and, and seeing the, the flaws because any shortcomings that you have in your photography um, – will really be amplified a hundredfold in, in, in that print. And then you can work backwards from there if, if it is, um, if there's anything that, that you need to address. So I hope that kind of made sense. Yeah, yeah. Brock, I'm, I'm just going to, do you remember, uh, not this year, last year in uh, WPPI, we had a, a session, there was about a thousand people in the auditorium and yourself and Lindsay Adler. Oh yeah, with, uh, with the, Adobe, the yeah. photo yeah. shop off. And, um, <laughs> that was fun. and uh, you know, you had to work on some images. We had a clock on it and uh, I hosted it and gave you some encouragement, haha, along yeah. the way, uh, <laughs> asking some dumb questions out of the audience. And one of the things that we stipulated for both yourself and Lindsay, who, by the way, Lindsay Adler's one of the US's, if not one of the world's best fashion photographers. She's amazing. She Incredible. is amazing. Yeah, yeah. She does all her own shooting and lighting but and posing, but she also edits like Rocco yeah. does. So pretty amazing. unique individuals. Anyway. One of the stipulations was that you could only use three or four tools and you couldn't bring in actions. You couldn't set up actions. You had to basically work with certain features of Photoshop. And, you know, you might remember what they were, you might not. But if you could say to people 95% of what you want to achieve can be done with A, B and C, what would they be? Okay, so the most I think one of the most important tools in Photoshop, and I use this on every single image, is understanding curves. Mm-hmm. So curves allow you to you know darken, brighten certain areas of the picture, uh, allow you to put in um, contrast and, and all sorts of things, but also on how those curves um, affect your pixels. Um, and to do that, um, we use things like um, luminosity masking and mm-hmm. um, you know things like. Um, you know, uh, blend if modes and et cetera, et cetera. So curves give you give you a lot of lot of control, both in localized uh, adjustments or global adjustments. So the other thing also that uh, that I use a lot is things like hue and saturation. Um, and uh, with hue and saturation, combine that with um, your three main blending modes, which is uh, hue, 
uh, color and saturation as blending modes, and you can start to really manipulate and control colors on a, on a very, very different level. Um, mm. So so that's a, that's a very important tool. Um, um, also in, I guess, black and white uh, conversions, which I do a lot of, um, uh, there's a couple of different methods, but, um, you know, channel mixer becomes a very important tool as well um, mm. because uh, that is uh, that is imperative to to making sure that those tones, those color tones are converted into shades of grays that don't look the same as, you know, shades of grays that are right next to it, if that makes sense. So it gives mm. you control into into that gray grayscale kind of um, separation. And probably the last one that I would use would be, um, and we use it, you know, sporadically, depending on what I want to do, is actually levels. Uh, although you can do a lot of that stuff in curves, uh, levels at times, um, I might use, say, a curve to drop the overall contrast, say, of an image, and then I'll bring in a levels adjustment to localize contrast uh, for where I want the eye to see and give mm. it more luminance, if you like. Mm-hmm. So that's about that's about it as far as my staples. And then, of course, you've got other other bits and pieces that we use uh, inside of Photoshop. But mm. if you can mm. master those things, mm. you're on your way to becoming a pretty amazing editor. Rocco, I reckon we could um, we could talk about this, you know, for years, um, color management and um, you know, all sorts of um, uh, Photoshop techniques and that sort of stuff. But mate, um, I guess more importantly, who were your photographic influences? Mm. Yes. Photographic influences. All right. Um, okay. So when um, when I first started shooting, mm. um, I fell in love with, um, obviously, when you start looking at photographic books, you know, the first book you go to as an aspiring photographer back in the early 90s, you know, Ansel Adams. Mm. Okay. So you looked at some of his landscapes and you looked at what he was doing in the darkroom and, um, you know, read, read his books and... Uh, implemented some of those techniques shooting five four cameras and it was um yeah he was like right on right up on top of the of the of the money tree for me as far as uh, inspirations mm. on the darkroom side of things yeah so mm. and what we could do in a darkroom he opened up my mind to obviously the zone system and how that was used and how we get control um, you know contrast and all sorts of things things through development mm. so you know ansel adams and then of course um the Photo reportage side of things, uh, you look at um, um, Cartier-Bresson. Um, I just love these decisive moment stuff, um, which was a huge inspiration. Mm. And then, of course, um, on a more local scale, you know, Max Dupain. Um, so these are sort of my my heroes that I, I wanted to shoot like. You know, I wanted mm. to be – I wanted this is what I wanted to be when I grew up, basically. Mm. Yeah. But then um, – Something something happened for me early on in my career, and I was introduced to the AIPP back in uh, the mid '90s, and I became a member. And I remember, like, um, you know, being influenced by people that were shooting my my genre. Um, and Tony, you'd know what I'm talking about. I mean, as far as wedding photography and really pushing the envelope in wedding photography. Wedding king. Was, yeah. Absolutely, and also Robert Piccoli in Melbourne. Yes, oh yes, definitely. You know, so they, they were they were my my heroes, and then um, I used to love what um, you know, obviously Peter Eastway was doing with better photography, mm. but also his take on on um, some of the landscape stuff that he won uh, um, Australian Photographer of the Year back. I think it was ninety seven. Ninety. He won it twice. 
he did win it twice. Mm. Yeah. But you remember that that stuff he shot in Italy with um, with the black and whites, yeah, um, really and stuff. the Tangerine in Africa, and, um, and the ferrous cyanide to just yeah, pull the ferrous cyanide yeah. stuff, which I was doing in the dark room. So I kind of I could I could relate to that. So that became a huge inspiration. But then there was a lot of photographers <clears throat> um, within that um, that were um, you know that were very I guess instrumental in the way I even think today. So it was a yeah. it was an amazing place to to be inspired because I had access to um, you know all these incredible photographers and you could actually talk to these guys mm. you know which was amazing yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know yeah because like uh, I remember like you know reading better photography and then actually um, meeting Peter Eastway mm. for the first time and I thought he was a celebrity were you disappointed now, when you met him the first time now I'm really disappointed because I know who he is <laughs> yeah yeah I've got the same way I love you mate <laughs> yeah when I met I, I got goosebumps when I met Pete and that was kind of very very cringy for. A, for a you know, middle-aged man to to get goosebumps yeah. over another man, um, so yeah. stop. Yeah, but hey, actually, that, 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 the question I have is, you know, who's who's more fun to hang out with, Tony or Peter? Oh, look, you know, I think they both have their uh, their pluses. You know, uh, Peter, <laughs> so like you got to get know. around his uh, his sense of humour. But once you do, I think you're you're pretty. Has he got one? Well, well. This is the thing where when you got to get around his sense of humor, mm. right? You've got to understand the fact that he doesn't have one and then you kind of go, okay, you're just like that. His, right. his sense of humor tends to revolve around telling jokes about Christian. <laughs> get a genre, mate. Pete, if you're listening, get a genre. Yeah. That's funny because Christian tends to revolve around bad jokes about Pete. Yeah, well, yeah that's, that's right. Yeah, that's true. That's, yeah. Yeah. Well, I must say that uh, having uh, Pete and Tony together in the room uh, or on a trip is always entertaining and always fun. Oh, and, it would be. Yeah. And, and whenever we're away doing a gig somewhere, it's just it's laughing from the moment you wake up to yeah. when you go to bed. Yeah, that's for the first few days, and then after that, it gets a little bit annoying. And then by the last day, it's like, oh shit, I can't, I can't pay out on these guys anymore. I can't take any more from them. So it's like, yeah, yeah. It's like having too much sugar. It, you know, you, you eventually <laughs> become diabetic. So before. Then, um, yeah, just one more one more level of inspiration, which mm. uh, which got me to think about um, what I was doing in the darkroom at the time. I remember going to APA, I think it was APA 93, uh, and I remember in the wedding category seeing this picture um, of a bride that I couldn't work out how it was actually created. And what I found out later from the maker, it was was a it was projected onto onto something and then photographed and then it was uh, it was printed. And I thought, wow, this is really taking wedding ah. photography. You might know who the person was, Tony. Tony, Tony Hewitt did that, didn't you, Tony? Jeez, that's gone back. It is gone back. I think it was 93, not 92. Uh, 92, 93 and 94 because they, I think I had a few covers here and overseas with those shots. What, can you just explain how it worked, Tony? Yeah, look, um, you start off with a bottle of red wine. Uh, you wait till it's gone past midnight. I was actually trying to come up with something different and uh, I had a – it started off with a polystyrene pillar and somebody had asked me if I could create something different for them as an art piece for the wall. Right. I had a projector and I'd been looking at some slides from some images in New Zealand mm. and uh, I thought, that's interesting. Maybe I could project these onto something other than the wall. Mm. But long story short is I photographed, and this is days of film so or slide film, so I photographed a 10-8 of a bride in a hallway. Mm. Oh, so the first one, first one was a bride in a hallway under a light photographed it, had to go in the next day, uh, get that slide film process, so it takes 24 hours, bring it back. Then I had a slide of a bride in a hallway, which was a copy of a print. Mm. Then I had a slide of a storm in Milford Sound. I had two projectors and I would project them onto this pillar 
and then um, re-photographed that a third time onto another slide film and then printed it on Cibachrome. And um, I can show you the pictures one day. But, yeah, it, it, for a few years that's what I was doing. And wow. it was, uh, yeah, it was amazing. I had all sorts of uh, complaints and mm. uh, compliments all mixed yeah, up. But, but for me, um, like I said, that was a that was a huge source of inspiration because not that I knew who you were or, or anything like that, but that wow. images like this thinking, okay, well, you know, um, this – this is a different way of pushing wedding photography. And, um, you know, for me, I've always, like, you know, like I said, it was about thinking of how do you separate yourself from the masses? And, um, you know, you're not going to separate yourself from the masses by doing what everybody else is doing. And that for me was, was, I guess the, um, one of the tipping points, say, well, you've got to start thinking about shit a little differently. Um, if you want to start, um, you know, being different. So, um, that's what I did. So it was good. And I started mm-hmm. playing around with, uh, with with color with color eggs in in the dark room because at this point I had, still had no idea how you bloody did it because um, <laughs> we didn't have this conversation. But I was doing um I was sandwiching negatives in tissue paper and creating all sorts of weird and wonderful pastel looking looking prints in um in the dark room and it, that was good. I was uh, it was awesome. It just started a different way of thinking for me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I just a story on that. I was in England doing a talk on, on weddings and. Uh, they, what they did is they sort of announced me, and no one knew who I was. It was up in uh, Chorley, up in the north of England, and I was talking about weddings. Anyway, I played this slideshow. At, at, they announced me and a slideshow comes up with a whole bunch of images, and I'm standing behind the last row of about 100 people, and these two guys were sitting on the back row. They're talking to each other, and I could hear them. They didn't know who I was. Mm. And as these pictures were coming up of projections, this one guy looks at another and uh, he says, uh, you know, this is this bloody new computer stuff. They're they're putting <laughs> into computers and they're they're fucking around with them and they're doing all this stuff. Mm. And I thought oh, that's interesting because these this was sort of eight nine years after I'd done it, ten years after I'd done it. Mm. So I went up there and and uh, they introduced me and I walked up and I said, oh, you know, I'm Tony. He said, by the way, for those who are interested, uh, I don't use computers, don't own a computer, never seen right. And then I said, so who can tell me how that was done? And these two guys at the back of the room just went white and like. <laughs> so uh, no, um, good stories, Rock. Thanks. Yeah, no, good. It was uh, it was awesome, and uh, it's it's it was funny because when um, is somebody using the your... microwave? Is that you? <laughs> not me. No, not me. No, <laughs> Could you hear that? Yeah, I heard that. Oh. Anyway, sorry, Rock. So when digital first came in and people were doing digital prints, we were still shooting film, and what used to piss me off the most was entering images in in comps. And people going, oh yeah, this is digitally done. And I'm thinking, it's a freaking neck. I printed it in the dark room. <laughs> and that used to, honestly, for for years, the first probably from '99 to 2002, 2003, it was a pain in the ass to actually be accused of, um, you know, things that you weren't actually doing. Yeah. So I remember I entered this beautiful shot at Appar of um of a bride. It was a reflection on the water and had these beautiful you know, pink, orangey clouds and blue reflection in the... It was just a beautiful picture shot on the Hasselblad. And um, one of the judges goes, I can see that the digital... The imperfection in the digital reflection that was placed at the bottom of the picture. Oh, God. Fuck <laughs> <laughs> off. It's not yeah. funny. You know? So um, there was a lot of that. There was a lot of, um, you know, foot and mouth disease, I used to call it. Back yeah. in those- <laughs> hey, Rocco, just on that... Um- how do you feel about, or what do we do about the fact that so many people, judges, viewers, um, critiques, critics, look at work and if they can't figure it out, or if it looks too clever, um, then it must have been done in a computer, it must have been composited, you know, whereas 
sometimes there's some incredible work that's a single capture and you think, can't you just see it as possible that it was real, that it was actually captured that way? What's your thought? Yeah, I think it's the way it's the way um, we're conditioned to think, um, you know, trying to deconstruct things all the time. But I think if you are putting yourself out there to judge um, whether you're an art critic or whether you're a photography judge, you have to judge what's presented before you as a whole. Mm. Um, forget about the mechanics of how it was created. Now, the mechanics and, and the thought process is what we be, well, we shouldn't be rewarding the mechanics. It's more the thought process. And is the image evoking anything to you is it is it storytelling look at it as a whole picture as opposed to yeah this is too clever for me and i don't believe it mm. so obviously it was digital and this or digital that and i'm going to score it low because of that does it just does it actually really matter like you know how it doesn't no you know, they don't. and this is we we see that a lot i mean have been involved with uh, with judging for, for many many years mm. you know you still get that thought process unfortunately but it's a it's a wrong way of uh, of thinking the only time i will comment on um on the technical aspects of a picture if they are obviously done really, really bad, mm, yeah. okay? And we can see, you know, uh, mistakes in cloning or, or banding or things that are really obvious that bring that overall interpretation of the message uh, in the visual realm, of course, um, and, and, it's, uh, and, and it's failing because the, the, the faults are actually sticking out and they're really, really sticking out. Mm-hmm. But otherwise, it doesn't matter how, how clever an image is or you, no. it's... You've got to read it as a whole, I think. Mm. I don't know. What do you think, Tone? How do, how do you see it? Yeah, look, as, you know, I find when I watch judging nowadays uh, in my roles in various parts of different competitions that I think we go through these phases where people worry about the technical side of it, then they worry about how would how would they have done it and we need to, to get back to that uh, instinctive and remote, emotional response. How powerful is the message? Mm. How well has yeah. it been communicated? How does it yeah. make Neil, um, you, you know, I've seen your work. Obviously, I've worked alongside you or, or, and worked workshop with you and taught with you. And uh, you're very strong, emotional, and instinctive in your work, and that's why you're such a good wedding photographer. But I think you're a good example, Rocco, of the importance of balancing your vision and your instinctive way of seeing the world with a technical expertise. Um, you don't want to be the world's best technician with no heart. And you don't want to be the person that everybody right. can see things but has no way of capturing it with any level of quality. And I, I think there's a, a lesson yeah. here that you need to keep both growing at the same, you know, work on both at the same time, mm. but never let one overpower the other. Mm. Uh, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Rocco, spot on. Rocco if, uh, if a person is interested in getting into wedding photography, look, we know it's a, it's a very uh, challenging, um, you know, offshoot of the, uh, the craft or professional mm. or ha- however you view it. What advice would you give to somebody who's interested in doing weddings? I would say um, take a seat, uh, open up a bottle of wine, um, <laughs> and then um, – Go to the internet and look at Seek and find another fucking job. <laughs> that is a great yeah. quote. <laughs> yeah, no, it's uh, no. Look, look, wedding wedding photography. If you want to do it, um, if you want to do it properly, um, there is a lot of groundwork that you need to put in. Um, I think you you need to know your your shit before you attempt to to do anything. Um, it's a non-repeatable event, mm. and what happens with a lot of photographers is that they get into it because oh, it's a, it's a friend's wedding, and mm. they just bought a DSLR, and they they want to become photographers. That's great. That's mm. awesome to be inspired. Mm. But remember that the minute you you do something that for someone that isn't a friend anymore, and you and you stuff it up, mm. you're going to get sued. Yeah. 
Yeah, oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? And that's that's where, you know, and there's a lot of stories out there on the, on the internet of photographers mm. totally screwing up the wedding mm. and not delivering and not doing all sorts of stuff. So if you want to, if you're serious about doing it as a business, you know, um, learn your learn your your staples, learn your photography, um, learn learn it properly, mm. um, get yourself um, an apprenticeship of some description with a reputable studio that is able to to um, to teach you the ropes, but also in the same token, if they are teaching you the ropes, um, give back some of your time um, by working for the studio and not. You know, waiting until you've learnt everything, which is mm. what happens today. And I've mm. I've had my fair share of people coming through my studio where they've learnt the ropes and then mm. opened up a business. And now they're no longer in business because they didn't learn, I didn't teach them all the ropes because yeah. I'm not stupid. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but, but you know, because that's um that's kind of what happens. You know what I mean? It's um so learn the ropes and learn it properly. But most importantly, when it comes to wedding photography, mm. learn the business of wedding photography. Mm-hmm. Okay. I- at the end of the day, you could be really creative and take a picture, but if you don't know how to run a business. Yeah, pretty stuff. Well, yeah. there's that, and also, you know, look, just anecdotally, um, you know, we've all heard stories. Um, look, I, I just don't, I, I don't think some people take it seriously enough. That's right. um, I mean, I've, I've had, um, you know, I've in my travels, I've come across people saying, "Oh, look, I've got a, um, you know, this is on a Wednesday afternoon. Oh, I've got a, I've got a wedding uh, that I'm going to shoot on Saturday for some friends. Uh, does anybody have a spare body? You know, yeah, <laughs> yeah, no, no, that's. Uh... <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, that's um, then there. Some of these people are so-called professionals, mm. you know. So it's like I said, you got you got to take it uh, you got to take it seriously, and um, you know the business side of it, and um, making sure that uh, you're going to mm. come back with the goods and deliver the goods on time, because then it becomes it's very easy to fall into traps that um, that could ruin you, mm. um, not only financially but also emotionally because you've ruined someone's day. Oh, yeah. So yeah. be very, 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 very careful. Yeah. Hey, Rocco, on, the, on that, look, mm. given the situation in the world at the moment, how do you see weddings, uh, wedding photography more specifically, shifting yeah. and changing over the next 12 to 18 months? Yeah. People are just not going to get married, Tony. <laughs> That'd be good advice. <laughs> yeah, pretty, pretty much. I it's, wouldn't um, say that. No. Um, look, I mean, weddings are going to – are going to change because we're limiting um, we're limiting people to to events at the moment. Mm. Uh, I don't know how long this is going to last for, but um, the social distancing thing is a is is very very difficult. To be honest, I have no idea where this is going to this is going to end up, and um, I've had my fair share of postponements and cancellations as far as weddings are concerned now. Mm. And because we've had this other outbreak in Victoria, there's been a new wave of um, postponements uh, because people just aren't certain whether they can have mm. an event in the next coming month or so. Mm. So it's um it's scary times, you know. Um, yeah. For me, I'm, I guess I'm one of the lucky ones in the sense that, um, you know, besides obviously running my, pho- my photography business, you know, we do run cap- Capture to Print and we, we print and do all sorts of other weird and wonderful things and we have the education side where we run one-on-one programs uh, on anything from you know color management to fine art printing, whatever else. So that's kind of keeping me going. But if you're relying 100% just on wedding photography for your income, mm. there, there's some guys doing it really, really tough. And I don't know what the answer is. I don't know where it's going to go to. Yeah, I've got a pretty good idea. <coughs> I reckon, um, and I'll you know I'll, I'll happily eat my hat on this. I will, I will happily stand corrected. But this is just—it's going to get out of control. I, I had a chat with uh, with Tony yesterday, actually, um, in real life, and you know, I just sort of said, "Look, the only way we're going to get out of this situation is some sort of herd um, immunity." 
Um, it's just, yeah. you know, reading the news today, um, you know, these people under guard, uh, inverted commas, in some of these hotels in Melbourne, the security guards were, you know, <laughs> you, you read the article, you know, you think they were just having some sort of party. So um, hmm. we, we, we're just not going to be able to control this. It's just no, eventually cannot. everybody's going to get sick. It, it, they, it, you know, the funny thing is with, with this, um, you can only, you know, run as fast as the, the slowest person. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. yeah exactly and, right. And, um, and there's a lot of slow people out there, you know, yeah. just they just don't get it. You know, um, they look at, you know, a couple of weeks of inconvenience as the be-all and end-all of their life, you know, mm-hmm. as opposed to now. Now, like it's – I know for a fact it's totally destroyed uh, businesses. This second wave here in Melbourne has totally destroyed – a lot of businesses of yep. people I know, and mm. um, this is—it's uh, just not fair. No, Why? Because fair. Um, people just weren't doing weren't doing the right thing, you know. And it's um, at the end of the day, if you took responsibility for yourself and everybody did that, mm. mate, yeah. problem solved, you know. But yeah. we don't. We don't. We just don't give a shit. Well, some some yeah. of these people, uh, Rocco. Some of these people weren't even, you know, they're in quarantine and they were refusing to be tested. Now we we've got the um the situation in Western Australia where you know our borders are shut and look, you know, it, it, they might be shut for years. Um, I mean, yeah. we can't we can't have the situation where um you know somebody comes in from interstate or, or overseas and you know goes to the to the supermarket and you know infects seven other people because we'll just be back to square one. So um yeah. you know it's it's. It, it is not fair, and and I no. think I think a lot of people haven't taken this as seriously as they should have, and unfortunately, we're in the situation now where you, you, you're sort of going to have to say, well, we're just going to have to cop it, or else we're just going to live in lockdown for the rest of our lives. Mm, yeah, absolutely. I tell you what, it, it actually suits me. <laughs> as, as selfish as it sounds, I'm in the I'm in the one of the most remote places on the planet, and we've got no no dreaded lurgies here and it's like whoa this is good and all the local tourism is picking up for us so mm. i mean i mean I, I don't shoot weddings but um i mean mm. i'm sure the the local wedding photographers will be doing okay here mm. in perth mm. um yeah. if we can keep it that way and and you look at the difference between perth and and victoria and and melbourne now you know we we're just about doing whatever we want now yeah and um yeah, we're exactly just, we're, we're, been, we've been pretty lucky we've got a uh, our premier is a bit of a, uh, I think he's a bit germ-phobic, so he's he's not opening the doors anytime anytime soon. That's great, so. that's good, and, and he shouldn't. I mean, really, at the end of the day, he um he shouldn't. I mean, what's happened here in, in Victoria, uh, I think, should serve as a perfect example of what can happen. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think the rest of Australia, quietly, just shitting themselves, saying, shit, yeah. you know, that's yeah. all it takes. Yeah. And yeah. it really took less than a handful of people to create this. Oh, yeah? exactly, exactly. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. You know, so let's keep that into perspective mm. because um, – doesn't take a lot to create the the damage that that it is, and and there's a rumor out there here at the moment um, that uh, it, there's at least a thousand infections running out there, mm-hmm. and um, at the moment they're detecting, you know, seventy seven odd or seventy five a, a day. Um, so they've already, yeah, they've already they've already got through almost five hundred. Um, so it's not going to take long to reach that that thousand, and mm-hmm. and I guess. What they're looking at here is what's going to happen in the next uh, five days. Because mm. if that number uh, is still creeping up, then we're fucked. Mm, mm. <laughs> I've, got a, I've got a suggestion um, for Peter Eastway if he's um, 
doing it tough that I think he should get in back into weddings or do weddings if he's ever done any. I'm not sure. Oh, yeah, he, he's yeah. COVID-19, so he could just put that on his yeah, business right. card. Yeah, yeah. Weddings, yeah so. he could come and, come and shoot him in Melbourne and whatever else. But it's, yeah, it's, it's, uh, is that true, yeah. though, Fletch? Like once you've had it, you can't get it again? Or? Uh, uh, oh, he the, the bug will never go back to Peter once it's been within months. No, no, no way. Guarantee that. <laughs> hey, um, guys, this is all really uh, uplifting. So, I'm just <laughs> <laughs> Rocco, I, I want to yes. ask. I want to ask you. In spite of all that's going on, what are you looking forward to over the next couple of years? Okay, what am I looking forward to? Well, lots of things. I'm looking forward to. Um, you know, going back to a normal photographic uh, routine, whatever that might look like. But also for me, um, I want to spend a little bit more time um, sort of working on my personal stuff and my fine art stuff um, in that sort of genre. Um, and I think, um, yeah, I, I'm, I'm excited because um, I've got a ton of different projects in mind that I want to tackle over the next um, couple of years. And it's uh, it's an exciting time. I've never really felt, felt this before. I mean, mm. I guess... I probably wouldn't have got to this position mentally if um, COVID hadn't come along. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because, uh, I just would have been so busy doing other shit that, you know, this is never something that I would I would have considered. Mm. And now uh, the penny's dropped and I'm thinking, shit, you know, um, yeah, maybe cool. I do get more enjoyment out of this than anything else. Mm. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. This, is what I wanna, this is what I want to do. This is what I want to shoot. And there's a, like I said, there's a couple of different things that I want to, that I want to explore. And um, yeah, I'm excited. Um, I'm really excited about uh, that prospect. Um of things happening. Yeah. Do you see? Do you ever see a time when you won't photograph, or is, is this a no. of your life? No, I think uh, once you're a photographer, and I don't know, we you, you can you can't stop being a photographer. Um, I mean, I, I love what I do, and every time I pick up a camera, there's this this buzz, this I don't know, yeah. and it's kind of like, yeah, it, it just it drives this. Um, this inner need to to do shit. Yeah. <laughs> I, I don't know. It's a yeah. So I can't see myself not being a, a photographer or retiring per se. Probably from the business of photography, yeah, but not not from photography. Yeah, if that makes sense. You yeah. know, so that's why I think because I mean, ultimately, for all of us, I think it 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 really isn't a job, even though it's our career. No, it's no. not a job it's, at all. It's so much. No. So yeah. much you know, I've never found anything as good as this. Uh, surfing, no, yeah. surfing came close. I thought surfing was one of those sort of hobbies where mm. you really get can get hooked, and and mm. so it's a it's a different sort of thing. But photography has always been that passion for me. That's never never left, and it, it'll always be there. Exactly. No matter what. So mm. yeah, yeah. Hey, we we generally have one one last question for our guests, yep. and and this one is who is Rocco Ancora? Mm. I'm Batman. <laughs> that is the coolest answer yeah. I have ever heard. Well done. I'm yeah. Batman. Uh, yeah. No. Who am I? Um, well, I'm. Uh, I'm just. Uh, I'm just a guy from the burbs who fell in love with photography, and um, you know, and thank my lucky stars that uh, I did so because um, it has brought me the most joy in in my life, really. Besides, obviously. You know, having having my daughter and, uh, and meeting the love of my life, which is a totally different thing. Hope you're not listening. Love you all. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, yeah, so um, mm. I'm fortunate that I that I wake up every day then and, uh, and get to do what I love. Not many people can actually do say that as as a job. Yeah, no, that's so true. 
Rocco, thank you for your time mm, today. It's absolutely. been amazing listening to you talk. In fact, I've I've known you forever, but I don't think we've actually ever sat down face to face and had a chat. We sat we sat at upper at um you know and, uh, at upper dinners together, oh, but then yeah. again we're just interrupted by Peter Eastway across the table. So <laughs> yeah, that's right. Can, <laughs> can I just um can I just say, Rocco, look, thanks for putting up with the um. Look, we've had a couple of technical difficulties. Like we started actually talking to Rocco a couple of days ago and, um, you know, we had some recording issues. And look, I've got to say, it was probably our best interview ever up until that point. (laughs) Yeah. But um, (laughs) besides the uh, the famous Tony Hewitt missing interview. But um, Rocco, mate, thanks. (laughs) Which was just incredible. Um, Mate, thanks very much for uh, putting up with us is what I want to say, Rock. It's a a pleasure and an honour to to have been part of this. So thanks, guys. Yeah, and thank you too, Tony. Our pleasure, guys, always. Special guest presenter and photographer. Look, we've got two of the biggest and best photographers in the country on our podcast today, uh, Carmen. It's pretty pretty mm. amazing to have that. And when I what say are, biggest, I don't mean, you know, fattest. I, I, it's quite intimidating. Are you talking about actually. yourself again, Christian? Yeah. What about me? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, sorry, Carmen. Yeah, I was talking about Carmen and I, but oh, yeah, that's right. Right. thank you, thank you, thank you. <laughs> hey, Rocco, thanks for sharing, mate. Uh, yeah, always, cheers, love mate. Chat- always love chatting with you, whether it's on a subway in London or, or, <laughs> or over, over the phone, mate. It's been fun. So yeah. plenty of adventures ahead. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Cheers, boys.